gospel reading, which uh, we already, already had that summarized beautifully. Uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and read it too. Um, John 20, it's in your liturgy as the second lesson. And uh, remember, this comes right after the reading from last Sunday, which is Mary Magdalene's truly amazing, multi-layered, multi-faceted encounter with the risen Lord. I keep, I keep thinking about that. I have thought about it all week. Um, anyway, this is what comes right after that. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... I'll do the same sidebar here, actually, that, that Lee did a while ago when she preached on this, uh, not this passage, but a similar passage in John. Uh, John has a shorthand where he talks about the Jews. It's also often associated with um, something bad that might happen. And unfortunately, in the early church and since then, uh, these verses ripped out of context have... Um, have been part of anti-Semitism. When John says the Jews, what he's talking about is um, uh, people, first of all, uh, who have authority, uh, religious authority, uh, who misuse that authority and hurt other people with it. So you can just do that translation in your mind when you're, when you're reading in the Gospel of John. Jesus came and stood among them and said, <clears throat> Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand, put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house. Thomas was with them, although the doors were shut. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, If you believe because you've seen me, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's people said, thanks be to God. God, open our ears. We would hear the gospel. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The disciples are in, I don't know. Maybe, maybe living in the era that, that we live in and with shows like Homeland, 
Maybe it's a little frightening that the first thing I think about calling this is a safe house. <laughs> but that's essentially what it is. They're, they're in a safe house. Um, they are afraid they're wanted, you know, kind of wanted, wanted men associated with uh, Jesus that was put on trial and, and, uh, and crucified for uh, really crimes against the religious, religious establishment, you know. Uh, so there's a lot of politics involved in this. Um, they were really crimes, but they were portrayed that way. But in any event, the disciples are afraid. They're frozen with fear. Uh, they seem to be convinced that, as I just mentioned, their association with Jesus is going to get them arrested or worse. They're trying to sort out what to do next. Remember, in the previous scene, our text from Easter Sunday just last week, we know that Mary Magdalene had told them that Jesus has risen from the dead. And that obviously, this inner circle of disciples, they're having a hard time processing that. They have no category for the resurrection. They do have a category for fear. So that's what they're going with category for fear. And I wonder if I might interrupt myself for just a moment. I wonder if there's something for us just right there. Um, we live on the other side of the resurrection. We recite creeds and confessions that talk about the resurrection. We come up here and we hear the same invitation each week to be united to the risen, the risen Lord Jesus Christ the victorious Lord Jesus Christ. But how many of us are comfortable with that category or what that category might invite us to do or ask us to do? We're more comfortable with our doubts and our fears. Um, we're more comfortable just kind of hanging out on the sidelines. And Jesus wants for us so much more than that. So they're going with fear, the category that they're familiar with. Uh, but just like with us each week at the communion table, Jesus appears. He appears. And, uh, you know, I feel like for just a minute here, John is writing like Mark writes. You know, when you read Mark, you sort of, I saw this thing in the newspaper about this uh, giant treadmill that they've created to mimic the fastest man in the world who, uh, I can't remember his name, but he won the marathon in Berlin and set a record. He's like super, super fast. And they've invented this giant treadmill that's really wide and really long and has the same cushioning as gym mats. And you get on there and try to run at that pace. And it's so hilarious. One person after another starts out for a little, just a little bit and then they go tumbling, right? They, go, they just fall because they can't keep up with it. Um, and I feel like that that's how Mark writes his gospel. You try to follow Mark's line of thought. It's just like one boom, 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 boom thing after another. And I feel like for just a minute here, John has become Mark. And we've got all this stuff that's happening. And it's happening really fast. And it's really huge. And it's in its import. And I think we have to slow down and just kind of pace ourselves to realize the amazing things that Jesus is saying and doing with this little group of people who are frozen in fear. For one thing, he says, peace be with you when he comes in to the room. Peace be with you. 
what he doesn't say may be more important in a way. He doesn't say, what are you doing here frozen in fear? Man, you got one more chance to be the disciples that would be fitting for a resurrected Jesus like me. <laughs> one more chance, and that's it. Get your act together. But he doesn't do that. He comes in and he says to them, peace be with you. And in the New Testament, when that word peace is, is used, it's the same word that is used for shalom. And it's not the absence of conflict or the absence of something as much as it is the presence of something. And it's the presence of a robust way of life. John talks about Jesus coming, that people might have life and have it in abundance. And even here in this reading, it closes off. As, you know, he says, you know, many, many things happen. I'm telling you these things so that you might continue to have faith in the one that gives you life. And whenever life is used in the Gospel of John, you could just translate that into well-being, uh, human flourishing, and not only for us as individual people, but for our neighborhoods and our world. I love the way the English mystic Julian of Norwich uh, talks about what really could be a definition for peace or shalom. Uh, when she looks into the future and says, all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. All shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. That's what Jesus is saying when he comes into that room, this group of people frozen in fear. He comes in and he says, all is going to be well, and you're going to be part of making all things well. He doesn't come in and shame them. He comes then and empowers them. And how does he empower them? That's why I say don't move too fast here because, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. He empowers them by breathing the Holy Spirit into them. By breathing the Holy Spirit into them. There's an echo of creation there. There's an echo of, of the original creation because this is the same language that's used to describe God breathing life into the first human being. God breathes and Adam, our mysterious primordial ancestor, comes to life. That same language is used in that very um, memorable section of Ezekiel where God's people are languishing and there's no faith in the land and, and the rich are abusing the poor and it's just a huge horrible mess like God's people often are. And God comes to the prophet and says, go and look at this valley of dry bones. And he says, can you see this valley of dry bones raising up and, and, and being robust human beings again? And it says, breathe. Breathe on this valley of dry bones. And, and the prophet does, and ah, they come to life again. So this, this is big stuff when Jesus breathes on them and, and, and puts in them the Holy Spirit. He's putting in them 
the, the robust life of a human being and saying, go out and, 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 and give this version of life to other people. And what does that flourishing look like? Well, Jesus says here that that flourishing looks like being set free from the power of sin. Being set free from the power of sin. Earlier in this gospel, before Jesus calls his first disciples, John the Baptist introduces Jesus to us in this way when he proclaims to the crowd, Behold! Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus has come to take away the sin of the world. But what does it mean to be set free from the power of sin? What does this look like? Uh, Marian Thompson, who is a New Testament professor, I think she's out at Fuller still. It's this wonderful commentary on the Gospel of John and some other work that I look at sometimes. And And she talks about sin this way in the way that John often talks about it in his gospel. Sin is, I'm going to quote now, sin is understood primarily as unbelief that leads to death. Jesus takes away sin by revealing in word and deed that he is the agent of God's life. And Jesus calls for faith in himself. It is the work of God and Jesus through the Spirit to bring people to faith And so to take away sin and to confer life. To confer life. And then Jesus says basically to the disciples and through them to us, it's our work now. It's our work now. What? (laughs) Yeah, it's our work now. Our work now as the Spirit enables us to put people in touch with Jesus so that others will have faith that lead them into life and life in abundance. Remember, this is how Jesus talks about life in the Gospel of John. Life and life in abundance. This is what we mean when we talk about human flourishing. It is a holistic picture of what God wants for human beings. The Gospel is not about don't do this and don't do that. The gospel is about live into this way of life that you will immediately recognize as being a way of life where you see yourself as who you've always wanted to be. You know, I I don't want to see myself as someone who withholds forgiveness from others. When I When I do that, and God convicts me of that, uh, I realize that is not the self that God intends for me to be. You know, I don't want to be someone who's selfish, but, and when I see that selfishness in myself, I, I think that's not the, that's not the Bob Reed that God wants me to be. And, And when you're doing something and, and sharing out of your resources with others, or being generous with, with your love, or your time, or or when you go to someone and ask for their forgiveness, or, or when, you, when you come to this table and recognize a pattern of life that you want to name and confess before God, in those moments, you will recognize yourself as leaning into that life and life abundance that Jesus talks about. Jesus says that 
this is what we're supposed to do to put people into touch. I'm sorry, to put people in touch with Jesus in the same way that we have so that they too can live life abundantly and fully. And how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, one time I was... uh, One time I was with a group of people and, and they suggested that we go interrupt people on Daytona Beach um, to tell them about Jesus. And um, that might work. Um, it didn't that day. <laughs> people, people were super annoyed. <laughs> I'm out here trying to catch some rays, man. Or if you talk to people who grew up in the church, they'd be like, they'd immediately tell you everything they were supposed to tell you or to make you go away, right? So I don't think, well, I won't say that it won't work, but I will say that it's not what I'm going to suggest here. Um, I think really what's in view here about how we put people in touch with Jesus is with the story of our life. being honest with the story of our life. People need to hear about how to get from despair to hope. People need to hear about how to think about why doing one small thing to help alleviate suffering is better than doing nothing at all. And as people following Jesus, when we tell the stories honestly, And what I mean by that is fully and bear witness to the role of Jesus in our lives. We still tell these stories honestly. We we do bear witness to Jesus as the source of our hope. That small things uh, made me think about um, this ministry uh, in Philadelphia that uh, was born out of um, our sister church. Uh, sister church meaning it's in a group of churches that Grace Chicago is a part of, the city classes of the Reformed Church in America. There's a church there called Liberty, and there's a church there called Resurrection, or I'm sorry, a church called City. They merged, and they're now one church called Resurrection. But, but when it was just Liberty Church in Center City, they started this ministry called Small Things, and it's, it's like a greater Chicago food depository, but a little bit of a different scale. And uh, it's a really great, wonderful, wonderful man uh, named Vito Baldini runs it. And when we were out there, we meeting some, some elders and some of the pastoral people here at Grace, we went out to classes in Philly and we did a little road trip out to the edge of town and did a little service project for small things there. I wasn't familiar with this quote um, from Mother Teresa, but the... the, the um, the name for small things comes from it. We can, and I'll quote now, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. We can do no great things, only small things with great love. It made me think about um, our stories and how they can put people in touch with Jesus because any story in our life where we've moved from 
despair to hope? Any story in our life where we, where we say, I'm going to go and take time out of my Saturday morning to help at the Breakthrough Urban Ministries Hunger Walk in East Garfield Park? Won't you come with me? It's an opportunity to put people in touch with Jesus and the gospel. You know, all these stories in our lives, they are all small things. <laughs> they are all small things. And they're done because of God's Spirit with great love. Back to our text, back to our story here. There are really big things going on in this story. There's Jesus breathing the Holy Spirit into people. Oh my gosh. We need George Lucas to sort of like bring that to life to see what that would look like. Um, we have an echo of creation. We have a reminder of the promises about the new creation. There are really big things going on here, but they're kind of only rumors at this point. Um, it's the small stories that come out of these events with Jesus that begin to change the world. What comes out of the room will be really big and life-changing for millions of people and still counting. What comes out of that room are stories about Jesus. Peter's sermon that John read as the first lesson today, that sermon is given in Jerusalem not long after Peter is frozen by fear. And Peter comes into the city and he wants the religious leadership who have blood on their hands because they've conspired with Pilate to murder Jesus. He wants them to hear about an opportunity for reconciliation with the one that they have killed. The passage that's not a part of this sermon, but is a part of the, I'm sorry, that's not a part of our reading this morning from Acts, but is a part of this sermon, is this. Now, when they heard this, this sermon that Peter preached saying, we witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and so that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, when the leader of a movement is murdered, usually what happens is the followers of the movement find a way to carry out an insurrection, which usually involves violence. Here the insurrection is an invitation to reconciliation. All is forgiven. The one who you crucified is now coming to you, offering you peace, inviting you into his mission to live life and live it abundantly. Can you imagine the other stories that aren't written down for us? Can you imagine Thomas <laughs> over and over again telling this story of doubting and how Jesus invited him to touch his body, to touch his scars. You know, Richard Hayes, the New Testament scholar, renders the Greek for us quite literally. Jesus says to Thomas, bring me your finger. Bring your finger here. Wow. 
Talk about accommodating our doubts. Or as John put it, it's Jesus saying to Thomas, I love you over and over again. Surely that was a story that came out of here. Small thing done with great love, bearing great fruit. Or can you imagine Peter when he's not feeling like preaching to hundreds of people? Can you imagine him in a quiet setting saying, Mary Magdalene told us (laughs) that he was risen from the dead, but we were still really afraid. And then when Jesus popped into the room, he didn't shame us. He said, peace be with you. And then he breathed the Holy Spirit into us. And we're still trying to figure out what all that means. But here we are. We all have stories about how being in touch with Jesus gives us hope. Small things really do matter. And the faith and encouragement to do them. If there is a constant to these stories, and I think there is, the constant would be that they're never stories of human triumph or bravado, the way we often think of human triumph and bravado. So these stories are going to sound odd to many. You're not going to see them on YouTube as an example of a presentation to a Fortune 500 company. Probably not. You won't hear them in the halls of power. But they're stories about small things done with great love that bear great fruit. And they're always told with humility. There'll be stories where we present ourselves as those who stand up, who stand up only because we're forgiven, who do things that are good only because God is breathing life into us. And there will always be a character in these stories that's in the background. Jesus, the hero that looked like a failure, extending his love through us. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.